All right, let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you for today. Thank you for uh, loving us, uh, for being good to us, for uh, really um, just giving us peace in our lives. Uh, God, it's a it's a crazy world that we live in, and uh, the times uh, seem to just be getting uh, just more odd by the day. And uh, Lord, it's it's good to know that we can have uh, just a rock that we can stand on uh, in an ever changing, uh, ever moving world. And so, uh, Lord, I do just pray that you are um, uh, really sitting on the the throne of our lives, and we haven't pushed you out of the way and put you somewhere in the in the backseat, Lord. But we really do have you um, driving the car and that we're uh, just on board with what you're doing and we pray that uh, you would just use us uh, Lord whether it be uh, teaching the word on Sundays or discipling people uh, just whatever we do I pray that you're getting the glory for us so Lord I do pray that you would just speak to us today uh, that you would get the, the honor and the glory uh, for everything that's uh, that's said, I pray for Pastor Brian as he preaches this morning. Other classes that are going on, a lot, a lot happening. Pray for those in just your your Passpoint class here, Lord. And uh, there's a lot of things going on in people's lives. Uh, we pray for uh, those who have uh, been out for different reasons and just uh, a lot of things going on. We continue to pray for uh, Justin and Xander as they uh, try to just uh, get life figured out and uh, continue to press forward following you uh, just after uh, the tragedy, Lord. We pray for uh, Chris and Lauren as uh, they're uh, just following you by faith, trying to uh, just see what the next step for their family is. There's, uh, there's a lot of things that come to my brain, Lord, and so a lot of things that people don't know about that I just pray that you would uh, just... Uh, be the author of peace, Lord, that you would just, uh, even through hard times, good times, whatever, that we would just cling to you no matter what. So, Lord, we just pray that you just uh, speak to us today in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, if you got your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're working our way through this um, kind of slow chapter to get through. There's a lot of info. Uh, and so, if you were here last week, last week was very... I don't really love uh, weeks like this, but it's very... Teachy, if you kind of track with what I'm saying. A lot of just like deep teaching type stuff. And uh, so this week will probably be a little bit more of the same because 1 Corinthians 15 uh, is a very uh, teaching type of chapter. Paul's using a lot of uh, phrases, a lot of wording. He's referencing a lot of things that are uh, doctrine, just deep doctrine kind of stuff. And so as we work our way through this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the chapter on the resurrection, and we've already been here for several weeks, and I want to keep pressing forward uh, as, as we keep going. And uh, we're going we're gonna to wrap up this kind of middle section of the chapter today where he really just talks about some different doctrinal type of things that all hinge on the resurrection, which is where we started last week. But all this stuff kind of hinges on the doctrine of the resurrection. And then the next time we, we get together, uh, we'll be, we're going to really dive into what the resurrection looks like, right? So we've talked a lot about it itself, but what it looks like, what the actual resurrection of you, uh, the, the church saint looks like, you know, where's your body go, where's your soul, where's your spirit, how that all works out, time frames, all of that stuff, as clear as we can divide it with what the Word of God has given us, we're going to go through all that. But before we get to that, we're, we're kind of working our way through uh, 1 Corinthians 15, and uh, if you're kind of a title person, I, I kind of titled this, The Building Blocks of Doctrine. And so again, this is kind of teaching kind of stuff, and I'm not going to go in depth to any one of these things, because any one of these things could take a month to teach through. Uh, I'm going to reference a lot of things and at least give you uh, enough about it to, to at least grab a hold of it. Uh, and if, it, if there's any of these things that you're like, man, I... I need a little more clarification on that. Uh, D2 starts in about a month, so sign up for that and, and you'll get that because it's definitely going to be worth your time. Uh, but anyway, so 
the building blocks of doctrine. So most of you guys know, if you don't know, I don't know how you don't, but uh, what I do for uh, a living, my occupation is, is we build things. We build houses, we remodel houses, we do different things. And there is an order in which things have to be done for something to be built correctly, right? Now, there are times when things can get a little bit out of order. Like this week, uh, I spent all last week busting our tail to get the house ready for the painter to come in on Monday. And then I found out on Friday he's a week out. So, uh, well, guess what? I can't just sit for a week. We got too many things to do. So we're going to do some things out of order. But yeah, that that's just not an option. That's just not an option. But anyway, uh, it sounds great. But uh, as far as like when you're building a house, like so, when I go to frame a house or or whatever, when Justin goes to do something, I guess he does the same thing that we do. Uh, there's an order that you have to do things, right? You can't frame the walls before you have uh, like the deck put on, right? You just can't do that. You can't uh, you can't put the roof on before you've got the foundation in. There's just, things like this don't happen. You can't do these kinds of things. So there's a, a a process in which things go together correctly, right? And your Bible is the same way, right? You can't have uh, this doctrine over here if this doctrine over here doesn't say what it says, right? And you can't have this over here mean what it says if this over here doesn't mean what it says because then what would happen? They would contradict each other. And that's where you get things all out of whack, right? It's the same type of thing when you look at your building blocks of doctrine in, in the Bible, right? And so when, when you hear the word doctrine, what does that even mean? Right. Well, what does the word doctrine mean? Right. The doctrine is is a, basically is a teaching. It is it is a teaching on a subject that you, as a church, that we hold fast to. Right. It's not just a fact. It is a doctrine is something that we hold to. Right. The doctrine of salvation. The doctrine of eternal security. The doctrine of all you know these kinds of things. They aren't things that like morph as we get more knowledge. Right. Uh, as you get more knowledge, it reaffirms the fact of what you already know as, as a doctrine. It is a core teaching on any in particular subject. And so some things about doctrine that you need to understand is doctrine doesn't change, right? There are some things in life that change, right? Uh, as, as you grow, as you do different things. Doctrine uh, in the Word of God doesn't change, right? It's not like, oh, well, now that I know more, my view on this changes. Well, that you must have been taught wrong because if you know the Bible the way that I know the Bible, that uh, I believe the Bible, it doesn't change. So doctrine doesn't change. Make sure you understand that. If doctrine changed, then I guess that I could tell you today that you no longer have eternal security. You better work for your salvation. What? Well, that's not true. Right? Or any of these things. Doctrine doesn't change. And another thing that I want you to understand, and this is kind of leading into what we're going to talk about today, is one doctrine will never contradict another doctrine. Right? You will never have one doctrine over here that says something that kind of goes against everything else that you believe. And it's just like, well, that's what it says. Now, that's what happens with a lot of false religions. Uh, take like baptism, for example. They'll get baptism all out of whack. And everything else is pretty on track. But it's like, because baptism's all out of whack, then it takes the doctrine of the resurrection, the doctrine of salvation, and it takes these things. And if you believe what they're saying about baptism, per se, then all of a sudden these other things... They can't make sense because they contradict each other. And what I want to make sure we understand is as Paul's going through this, sometimes you read through this and it's like, I don't even know what he just said. Well, what he's doing is he's using several different doctrines and he's he's like using them as blocks and saying, man, if you put these things together the way that they actually are meant to be in the Bible, then you can build something pretty strong. But if any one of these things don't actually mean 
what you believe that it means, then none of them really make any sense. And so make sure you understand that about the core doctrines that we believe. And if, if you're like, I don't really even know what you're talking about, um, you can jump online on our website and get uh, a list of you know, our core beliefs or our core doctrines, things that we are going to hold fast to and why we do. And those things are just plain as day on, on our website. Uh, it's actually a really good tool for people who are church shopping because they can find out up front uh, what we are about, and uh, if that's not you, uh, probably don't don't waste your time because you know we're going to be that we believe this 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 and this, and we're not we're not wavering on it. So uh, anyway, I say all that to say we're going to jump back into what we were teaching last week, and, and we'll get going. So First uh, Corinthians 15. Uh, let's start in verse 12. This is what we went through last week, and then we'll pick up in verse 20 to get into what we're doing today. But Paul was using this kind of hypothetical: if the resurrection isn't really real then this is what that would mean. That's what we talked about last week. If the resurrection is, is really not that true, then this is what that would mean. So verse 12, he says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. He's like, hypothetically, if, if there isn't a resurrection, then Christ didn't rise. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. He's like, okay, so if this is what you guys are claiming to believe, then this is what that means. And we looked at that last week. There were several things that like, if you don't believe in the resurrection, then that means this is what you believe, and it's kind of messed up. And so... Um, Verse 17, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, yet, uh, yet are ye, ye are yet in your sins. Then they which also are fallen asleep in Christ are perished, meaning there's no hope after life. Uh, if this life, uh, only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. He kind of used this whole hypothetical. like, if you aren't believing in the resurrection, um, you don't have any hope, is basically what he boils it all down to. But then in verse 20, he's like, but, I don't want to spend too much time on this hypothetical, but, now is Christ risen from the dead. In case you were wondering, that happened, right? Now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, after they that are Christ that is coming, then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son, capital S, also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Basically, God's on the throne. Else, verse 29... So from verse 20 to verse 28, he's like, but the resurrection is true. But back to the hypothetical, right? Because that's what happens in verse 29. Else, what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage it me? If the dead rise not, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. And then from there he gets into, okay, this is what the resurrection looks like. So 
what exactly did he just say? Because he said a whole lot of things, and some of it is like, what in the world is he trying to say here? Okay, remember, the chapter as a whole is talking about the resurrection, right? And he's trying to make sense of the resurrection and what it has to do with you. And so remember, this is all kind of like building blocks. And so he uses, in this passage right here, and I'll go through them, he uses four different doctrines. He shows you four doctrines working together instead of independently. Because that's what happens... That's what happens in a lot of churches that teach false doctrine. They'll take, they'll, they'll take one thing where there's maybe one verse in the Bible that stands alone or nothing else supports it, and they say, okay, that's what we believe on baptism. That's what we believe on uh, resurrection. That's what we believe on salvation and eternal security. And they take one verse, and they have nothing else to support it, and they say, that's what we're going to believe. Well, that's not how the Bible works. The Bible works like we build houses, if you're using the analogy. They have to go together, or it's going to fall apart. Right, And Paul's using these four different doctrines here, and we're going to walk through them really quickly, uh, and show how they work together and how they actually build each other up and make each other stronger instead of each one of them independently meaning this and this meaning this, because if they independently only meant that, then they're going to tear each other apart. Right? Uh, the Bible says a three-chord... Uh, a, a three-chord... What is, how's that verse go? Um, threefold. A three-fold cord. That's like, if it's not a... A three-fold cord cannot easily be broken, right? When, when you have things that uh, are, are brought together with the Word of God, man, they, they're not easily broken. These, these doctrines don't just get tore down. And so here's the first one that he, he stands on as far as doctrine goes. And we, we talked about this some last week, but he goes on in verse 20 to 23, and it's the doctrine of the resurrection. It's the doctrine that... Jesus Christ rose from the dead, right? And not just him, but I took some time last week and I walked you through the different resurrections that have happened up to this point, right? Now, I'm not getting into the end times resurrections, things like that, but don't forget that there is, uh, you know, Jesus Christ was the first to resurrect other than the, the couple guys in the Old Testament and they weren't really resurrected. They were just kind of like beamed up, right? But, uh, and I understand that also, you know, Jesus... Are you coming up to teach? <laughs> I'm kidding. Totally kidding. Jesus uh, healed some people, right? There was like uh, Jairus' daughter and there was a couple different people, but they were just basically brought back to life. They weren't raised from the dead and resurrected to heaven. So make sure you understand that Jesus Christ was the first resurrection, right? After that, there was the resurrection of the Old Testament saints. If you want a little bit more detail, go back and listen to last week, right? Because we got into detail. The resurrection of the Old Testament saints where it took the blood of Christ for them to actually be resurrected. It says he went down uh, into hell and led captivity captive, okay? Again, kind of teachy stuff, but make sure you understand this. Uh, then there was the... Uh, resurrection of the rapture of the church, which is coming for us, right? When he comes back to, to meet us. So make sure we're, we're getting all that. Um, in between that, I'm sorry. So there's the, there's the resurrection of the Old Testament saints. There's the resurrection of, uh, the, the church saints that die now. And then there's the, the rapture that comes next. That's the, the next. So anyway, go back and listen to that. I don't have a ton of time. But verse 20 to 23, he says, um, but now Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruits, meaning he was the first one to resurrect, right? Become the first fruits of them that slept, meaning have died. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead, meaning Jesus Christ was, yes, he was all God, but he was also all man, right? And it was through the man, Christ Jesus, that resurrection is, is possible. You have no hope after death, after this life, save Jesus Christ and what he did for you, right? There is no hope save the resurrection that, that he did for you. So make sure you understand that. It says, but 
by man came death, by uh, man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, we understand that you know we're all condemned to death because our daddy Adam, right? Uh, even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. Make sure you understand that it doesn't just say because of Christ all are made. It's those who are in Christ, right? Go back to Colossians and you know make sure you understand Christ in you and you in Christ. You know, understand what that means. But those who are in Christ shall all be made alive. You have hope, right? There is no despair. There is no hopelessness because you have hope. You might have a really not great hand in this life. Who cares? This life is but a vapor compared to what we have coming. So understand that if you are in Christ, we will all be made alive. Verse 23, But every man in his own order. Make sure you understand that the resurrection doesn't just all happen at once. We don't all get resurrected at once. There's different levels of when it has happened. Christ first, Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, as they pass, they are resurrected, and then now the next resurrection to go up will be the rapture of the church where we meet Him in the clouds. That will be the next resurrection. Okay? If you want to know what happens from then on, jump into D2. We'll get into some deeper doctrine of, okay, so what happens to the people who get saved after the rapture. Well, you don't actually get saved after the rapture and it's all different at that point. So anyway, different dispensation, different things. But make sure you understand that even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Every man in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterward they which are at Christ that is coming. Okay, so we understand everybody has a different time that they're resurrected. All these, all the, the doctrine of the resurrection is put together in such a way that it is perfectly ordered by God the Father, okay? So the doctrine of the resurrection is great, right? We know that we, when we die, that's all good. But Paul's like, let me add something to that because it's one thing to have one trust in the air when we're setting trusts. I don't really feel great until we've got three or four because then they're all tied together. You get one trust up in the air and it's like, okay, get this thing braced because it's, it's going to come down if the wind blows, right? You get three or four together, and now everything's tied together a little better, right? Better yet, let's get some sheeting on this thing, because then there's no chance of anything happening, right? Same thing. He's like, okay, so let me add to this doctrine of the resurrection. Let me let me build to this to, to help you understand that God knew what he was doing from the beginning. He goes on in verse 24, and we're going to see the doctrine of the end times reference. This isn't the overall arching, this is the doctrine of the end times. But he uses this to support what he's saying, right? In verse 24, he says, Then cometh the end. The end of what? Well, the end of the world, guys. Uh, the end of uh, what what God has set as the, the, the fullness of the times. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God. Or, I'm sorry, he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, which he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. Verse 25, For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Okay, so definitely don't have time to give you the full counsel of what end times are going to look like. You really need to jump into D2. And we'll go about it a little slower this year and we'll, we'll get the whole grasp of this thing. But after the rapture of the church, right? When we are raptured out, when the last Gentile gets saved, the rapture of the church happens, right? If you're still alive and you are in Christ, he will rapture you out. That starts the clock on what we call the tribulation period, seven years, okay? The cool thing about it is 
Nothing that happens in the tribulation period has anything to do with you. So have peace in that, right? You're gone. You don't have to deal with any of it, right? So it starts the the clock on the tribulation period, seven years. The first three and a half years aren't really that bad. They're just trying to figure out what happened to all these people. They just disappeared one day. But then something happens at the midpoint of the tribulation, right? And it's what they call the abomination of desolation, is when the Antichrist sits down on the throne of God and the temple of God and says, uh, I am God, and let me prove it by uh, making a sacrifice that is uh, not so sweet smelling. If I had to assume what the sacrifice is, it's probably a human sacrifice, but there's nothing in the Bible that says that. But anyway, at the three and a half year mark of the tribulation, Something happens, and then literal hell on earth starts. This is where, when you you know read the books about what end times are like, the last three and a half years are what they call the Great Tribulation. Again, a lot of information very quickly. Uh, just kind of grasp some things here and understand. I'm just I'm using this as a building block. Okay, uh, that is when you start seeing uh, what happens in the Book of Revelation with the vials being poured out, all of the the really not good things. This is God's punishment on the nation of Israel. Right. Make sure you understand uh, the Antichrist is simply a part of what is happening during the tribulation. Uh, the bad things that happen in the tribulation is actually God's wrath. Now, the Antichrist has his part in that, uh, but it's God's wrath on the nation of Israel. It's his punishment on basically them rejecting him for so many years. Anyway, fast forward, you get to the end of the tribulation. Jesus Christ comes back in person, sits his foot on the Mount of Olives, splits this thing in half, Right? Uh, and then there's basically war. We come back as uh, with our glorified bodies at that point. Uh, come back with him. We rule and reign. Uh, so there's battle, right? Jesus puts uh, the Antichrist uh, into hell, right? Which is still just a holding place uh, for the thousand-year millennial reign. This is when Jesus Christ actually reigns on this earth for a thousand years. Again, you might be like, oh my gosh, this is a lot. This is why we don't talk a ton about end time stuff because we're not really here for any of it. We're here for the thousand year millennial reign, but at this point, like, make sure you understand it. Don't dwell on this stuff. Okay? So, okay, he comes back. He reigns for a thousand years. At the end of a thousand years, I'm really moving quickly through what is all is happening. Uh, the devil gets one last hoorah. He has this plan for a thousand years and he knows that at the end of a thousand years, he's going to be loosed from hell. And he's like, okay, now I'm going to, I'm going to get the best of Jesus. And Jesus is like, okay, I don't really have time for this. I'm sure it's something very similar to like a snap of a finger. And he's like, you're gone, right? Uh, at that point, uh, that is when, uh, you have the great white throne judgment and everybody is cast into the lake of fire. Lake of fire is different than hell. Understand that as well, right? Hell is simply a holding place. The lake of fire is uh, an eternal fire that cannot be uh, put out. Something to, to also know, a lot of stuff, uh, something to also know is, you know, when, you're, when your buddies from work or your friends or your family, they're like, oh, I'm just going to go to hell and party with all my friends. Uh, it's not going to be like that. Or I'm just going to, if, if it's going to be that hot, I'll just burn up, right? Uh, the same way that you as a Christian get a glorified body, uh, and, you know, jet packs, rocket packs, whatever that looks like, I don't know. Uh, I know it's all based on what you do for Jesus from the time you get saved moving forward. Uh, all those that are in hell at the great white throne judgment also get a type of glorified body. It is a body that somehow can be uh, burnt in fire with the anguish that goes with it, but never burn up. So uh, if you're thinking, oh, yeah, I'll just burn up and I'll be gone, that's that's not actually what happens. So um, understand that it's not going to be as, as glorious as your lost friends want to say it's going to be. So anyway, just throwing all that out there. At that point, uh, you know, Jesus is, uh, Jesus is king. Uh, he's now dealt with everything. Uh, that's what it references here. It says the he says, uh, for he must reign in verse 25 till he put all enemies under his feet, uh, meaning 
the devil and his angels. And then the last one, it says, verse 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. At this point, there is no more death. There is no more anguish. There is no more any of that. Okay, so understand that he takes care of all of that. It's back to God's plan that he had back in Genesis 1, right? Understand that the Bible from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation uh, is just like, a, okay, time out. Because at the end of Revelation, it picks right back up to where it was in Genesis 1. It's as God created it to be, right? Just because Adam Eve sinned doesn't mean it's like completely worthless. Uh, it actually gave you an opportunity to get saved. But uh, it picks right back up at the end of, Gen- or end of Revelation where he wanted it to be. We're back to perfection. There is no sin. All, all of that, okay? That's the doctrine of end times. How does that tie into the doctrine of resurrection? Because Jesus himself was the one who resurrected. And he had to resurrect so that he can come back. Because if he wasn't God, he wouldn't have resurrected. And if he wouldn't have resurrected, then he can't come back. Right? And so these things are kind of like building on one another. And he doesn't speak a lot about the end time stuff. And there's a ton of stuff that I skipped over. I promise. Uh, come back and you, in D2 and you can get a lot of that stuff. But... He's tying it all together because he's like, you got to understand this resurrection thing. And he goes on to say, in verse 27, For he hath put all things under his feet. Okay, so now he switches. He's talked about the doctrine of resurrection. Then he hit on the doctrine of end times. Now he's going to hit on this doctrine of spiritual authority. The doctrine of spiritual authority. Verse 27. He says, For he hath put all things under his feet, meaning Jesus. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. Meaning, yeah, he is king of the world, except for the fact that God's king of the world, and he is still subject to God, is what he's saying. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, verse 28, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Make sure you understand spiritual authority. Make sure you understand the structure of the local New Testament church and not just this church, but the way the church builds upon one another, right? And it doesn't mean that, you know, Peter holds the, the, the keys to the kingdom and you've got to go through him. That's not what it's talking about, although the Catholic Church wants to tell you that. We're all subject to Christ, right? The fact that he resurrected showed that he is God manifest in the flesh, but he is still subject to who? God the Father. Right? It is, it is all put together perfectly in such a way that it adds to itself. Instead of this doctrine kind of taking away from that doctrine and kind of taking away from that, they kind of all add to themselves. And he's like, with spiritual, the spiritual authority, you find your place and you submit to it. And you work there. Right? Because God has put everything in order the way that he wants it to be. If Jesus one day decided, you know what? I'm not really down with all that. I don't really want to die in the garden. Okay, well. What did it say? When he was in the garden, I read this this week. When he was in the garden, he was he was being uh, he was on the cross. I'm sorry, not in the garden. He was on the cross, and they were like, "Man, just uh, bring yourself down if you if you really if you really Christ." And it says he could have called twelve legion of angels, but he didn't because that's not what God told him to do. Do what God told you to do, even if it's the hard thing. Okay, so now he's resurrected. He could be like, I don't, I don't really want to come back. I don't have to. I am sitting on the right hand of God the Father. I don't really need to go back, right? It's not about that. He's going to take his place in God's spiritual authority chain and he's going to do that. Make sure you find your place in God's spiritual authority chain and you just do that. Because if if he would have just resurrected, but then he was like, you know, I'm not really down with all that, everything else God had in store for me. Now the resurrection doesn't really mean as much, right? The resurrection only means as much because he's going to resurrect you as well, right? 
but it all pieces itself together. Okay, the last doctor that kind of goes into this thing and then he wraps it all up. But uh, verse 29. So verses 12 to 20, he kind of gave this hypothetical. If the resurrection is not really real, then this is what it means. And then in verse 20, he picks back up and he's like, but it is real. And let me show you how. And he goes through this and he kind of is using these different doctrines to support his point, right? He's using these like support verses to kind of make this thing stand up and he's making it stronger. And then in verse 29, he's like, but if you still don't believe it, he uses this baptism of the dead thing. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 29. Uh, so the last doctrine uh, is the doctrine of baptism. Verse 29. Else, what shall they do which are... Uh, baptized for the dead. If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? What in the world are you talking about? Baptism for the dead. Okay, so this is one of the many false doctrines that some churches will grab a hold of, and they're like, this is something that you have to do. So this would be, let me just give you a quick example. Uh, say I have, uh, you know, my rich Uncle Joe, who uh, didn't really uh, live a righteous life, but uh, I'm really hoping that I can pray him into heaven, right? And I'm really hoping that I can uh, maybe give enough uh, um, money to get him out of purgatory. If you go to the Catholic Church, you understand what I'm talking about. I can get him out of, and I can get him into heaven. If I really want to get crazy about it, I can even be baptized for him in his place. That's what they call the baptism for the dead. It is basically you being alive saying, I'm going to get baptized for somebody to basically, hopefully, get them a little extra clout with God, right? And so what Paul is trying to say is he's like, okay, so say you don't believe the resurrection. Okay, whatever. Uh, you believe in this baptism for the dead. This is a good example of two doctrines tearing each other apart instead of putting each other together. If you believe in, if you don't believe in the resurrection, then what good is it you, what, what good are you baptizing for the dead if you believe the dead rise not? Well, what's the point? He's dead. He, he has no hope, right? So he's like, you, you don't believe this, but you do believe this, and you're willing to go through all this work of acting like a fool, getting baptized for somebody that's dead, and you don't even believe that the resurrection actually happened. So what is he resurrecting from? You know, he, he's using an example of saying, hey, make sure you understand the way all these things put together. Now, very quickly, I don't think baptism is one I need to really teach you all. Baptism is pretty simple, right? Uh, I don't know how so many people get baptism all jacked up. It is simply your first act of obedience. There's nothing special about the water. I don't care what Carrie Underwood sings, right, or anybody else, right? Uh, there's nothing special about the water. Uh, baptism is just simply me saying, or whoever saying, guess what, I got saved, and I'm just like y'all. And I want to I basically say, I'm. this is me saying, I'm part of you. Hold me accountable, right, for when I'm acting like a fool, uh, and basically... Uh, I want to be a part of the body, right? And so that's not that you have to be baptized to be part of the body of Christ, but you have to be baptized to be a member of the church. Okay, so baptism is simply a, a, an act of obedience, right? It is saying something already happened to me, and this is just me showing you. There's nothing in the water that cleans you. It doesn't wash your sin. It doesn't do any of those things. There is no baptizing for somebody who's already died. There is no baptism of, of fire, right, in this dispensation. And again, get into D2. We'll go through seven different baptisms. There's a, they all point to one, right? And it's actually Jesus' spiritual baptism. Even the one that we do points to Jesus' spiritual baptism. Anyway, make sure you understand that when you put doctrines together, they support each other. But when you try to take them all whacked out, they just tear each other apart. Well, if if you don't believe that the resurrection happened, then I guess the baptism of the dead is stupid, right? And, and if you're going to be baptized from the dead, then maybe you should believe the resurrection, 
right? And so he's basically saying, make sure you understand doctrine. Because he's getting ready to get into the section on understanding your resurrection body. And that's some pretty deep doctrine. So he's like, make sure you understand doctrine and how it all fits together. Because if you don't, you're going to be really confused. And that's how he finishes up the whole chapter. Right? As he says, and why stand we in jeopardy every hour? Basically, like, we don't need, you don't even know if you're saved, if you're actually going to resurrect. Is there any hope for you? I don't know. I guess I should do good works. And he's, he's like, why are you so in jeopardy? Don't you remember, go back to the beginning of the chapter, don't you remember the gospel that you believed when I gave it to you? The simple death, burial, and resurrection? Hold fast to that. He, he's like, I don't understand where you guys got so confused. He says, why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Jesus Christ our Lord. I die daily. He's like, I, I'm fine with dying. I'm going to die to self every day. Why? Because I have something better coming. I'll give up the pleasures of the world. Why? Because I'm not scared of death. And it, he's, he's referencing what he said in the, the verse before, why stand we in jeopardy every hour? We're so scared of death and what's going to happen after. And he's like, we know what's going to happen. The best thing you can do is die daily. Give it all to Christ. If today's your last day, praise the Lord. If not, praise the Lord. If after the manner of men, verse 32, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. If there's no hope in the resurrection, who cares? You might as well live it up now. If you don't have any hope in the resurrection, you might as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But guess what? You do have hope. You do have purpose. God has called you to something better, something bigger, something stronger, and so you better grab a hold of it and live for it. Because if not, when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ, you, as a Christian, you're going to be like, man, I wish I would have done more. Look at that guy. He's got like all kinds of like jetpacks. He's flying around. He's doing all these things. And here I am. I'm the naked guy in heaven, right? Make sure you live for Christ now. And the jetpacks, I might be adding that. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I know we're going to be able to get around a lot easier than we can now. And my back's not going to hurt. So whatever that looks like. Anyway, do what you can now while you have time. I promise, I don't, I don't care if, if, if it's Billy Graham who has done a lot for the Lord or the thief on the cross who didn't do anything for the Lord other than get saved, right? I guarantee you can ask anybody in eternity and they're going to say, I wish I would have done more, right? There's nobody on either end of the spectrum that's not going to say, I wish I would have done more. So why don't you just live with that mindset today? Right? Do what you can right now. You got lost people around you, right? You got saved people who knew edified. There's there's tons of things to do, and instead we're we're so caught up in like our own little world. Well, I've got this going on, and my kids are doing this, and we're going over here, and I'm doing all that, and I'm working over here, and I I get it. It's life. Um, we all have the same 24 hours in every day. Make sure you understand that, because the excuse I don't have time uh, is a pretty lame one, right? And I tell that myself all the time because I'm like I just don't have time. That's funny because like. My, my pastor sleeps like three or four hours a night, I think. And I'm like, he's got the same 24 hours I do. Make sure you understand that. You have the same 24 hours. How you use them, that's up to you, right? I can encourage you. Uh, I can plead to you. I can, you have the same 24 hours. I have the same 24 hours. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I fail miserably most of the time. Life is crazy. Serve God while you can, right? He says, like, well, what, what good does it do if I fight with beasts at Ephesus? Or what advantage is it of me if the dead rise not? Let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. What's he trying to say there? He's like, you can live a life that on the outside looks pretty good. 
You can live a life that says, oh yeah, I go to church, I do all the things, right? I, I, I've got my life in order. Um, the things that come out of your mouth, they're saying something different. You better make sure that your words and your actions are all lined up, right? Because if you're somebody who uh, has it all put together on Sunday morning, but if somebody was to stumble across the way you're talking or the way that you're living the rest of the week, I mean, who cares if somebody from church sees you? Christ is looking at you all day, every day. Like, I don't know why people are so caught up in, I don't want this person to see me. Like, Christ sees you? I'd be more worried about that. I'd be more concerned with that. So uh, he says, be not deceived. Don't be confused. You're not, you're not deceiving anybody. Evil communications corrupt good manners. You can look all good. You're not living all good. Verse 34, awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. He wraps this whole section up with, I just gave you a lot of info. And some of you are just like, what did he say? He's like, I speak that to your shame because you have every opportunity to know what I just said. And instead you're just like, eh, I don't have time for that. Right? You have every opportunity to know that the resurrection is real. But instead you're just like, well, it makes more sense for me to not believe it. Right? In, in the life that I live right now, to not believe it. I can live however I want if I don't believe that I actually have to answer for it. Okay, so he's like, I speak this to your shame. You don't have the knowledge of these things. That's on you. And full circle... It kind of falls on us. If we don't have the knowledge of some of the most basic doctrines that we hold to at HBF, that's on us. we got D1. You've got D2. You've got all kinds of different classes. Brian's here on Sunday nights, on Wednesday nights, just teaching to the air sometimes because we're too busy. And it's on us if we don't understand things. If you're new to Christ and you're kind of new around here, there's like a grace period. I don't know what it is, but there's a grace period. But if you've been around for years and you're just like, I don't completely understand that, that's on you. You have it every opportunity, you've had every opportunity to learn it and you just chose not to. Right? So make sure you understand. Paul's like, I speak this to your shame. If you don't have the knowledge of God, I speak this to your shame. And make sure that you kind of evaluate where you're at. Like, okay, I, maybe I need to have a better hold on what some of this stuff means. Right? Maybe when, when we're fast forwarding through some of the high points of end times and I'm like, what? Like, you should at least be tracking with the high points of end times. You should be like, okay, yeah, that's right. Now, when you get into some of the more deeper details, you're like, okay, yeah, I really need to... I understand. There's some things I'm like, hang on. Piece all this together. But, like, the high points you should be able to track with, with all these doctrines. So make sure that with your life, you're tracking with them, okay? Again, today, kind of teachy, kind of like... But but that's what Paul's talking about, and that's where we're at. So uh, next time we get together, we're going to uh, get into the resurrection body kind of explained and what it all looks like, and we'll take our time getting through that. We're rapidly approaching the end of 1 Corinthians, and uh, I'm still praying about where we're going after that. i got a pretty good idea, but we'll see. So anyway, let's pray. Father, I love you. Thank you for today. Thank you for uh, just your church and uh, just uh, the body of Christ as a whole, the way that they just uh, minister to one another, love one another. Lord, it's just, uh, it's, it's great to be a part of, uh, Lord. So I just uh, pray that you would, uh, uh, be manifest in our lives, uh, in a way that uh, people look at us and they can't help but say, man, there's something different about them and I need that in my life. And so, Lord, I pray that we do have, uh, a lifestyle and a, and a, and a communication, uh, about our life that is so much about you that people just desire to have it. Uh, I pray for the past point class. There's a lot of things going on in people's lives. I pray that you would just edify them. All the things that are coming up. Pray you preach through, uh, Pastor Brian this morning as he gets back in the pulpit and, uh, just, uh, thank you for just a good trip to the Dominican and, uh, things going well there. Uh, I just pray that you get all the honor and all the glory, uh, for everything that's done in Christ's name. Amen.